Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. When you come into God's presence with praise, he comes into your circumstances with power. We come into his presence with praise. Whatever we've been through, whatever we're going through, we say, God, you know the mess that I'm going through. You know the mess that I'm in, but I'm just going to praise you in spite of it all. I'm going to praise you in spite of everything that I've got to deal with. God, I'm just going to lift up a praise because that's all I have. And that's all that he wants. The psalmist says, God inhabits the praise of his people. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. God bless you. Welcome. We're so grateful and thankful that you are in this place. Glad that you were here at Southridge. I hope you are excited for what God has for you this morning. We're looking forward to being together, and I'm grateful for this time. If this is your first time here at Southridge, we hope that you received a uh, welcome pamphlet, kind of our notes and a handout, and also there is a card, and in that packet, it's got a card. It's called the Connection Card. I'd love for you to, at any point in our service, take out that card and to fill it out, especially if you're a first-time or second-time guest. Fill out that card and take it to where we have our Connect tent. We would love for you to drop it off there. We have a special gift for you. We'd love to give that to you and have you a part of our, our church family. And uh, maybe you're going to take the next step. Maybe you say, I, I saw those that got baptized last week. I need to do that. Well, you can indicate that on the card. We'll follow up with you. Maybe you want to join a life group, a ministry team. You can do so using this card, and at the end of the service, you can drop that in. Well, we're in a new series entitled Person of Interest. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 4, Mark 4, and uh, we're going to be diving in this morning to a kind of a different format because like you, not everybody in my life goes to church. Like you, not everybody in my life is a Jesus follower. Not everybody in my life claims to love God, serve God, follow God, worship him, praise him, read their Bible, pray before every meal, loves their wife, loves their husband like they should, their kids like they should. They don't cuss, chew, or go with girls that do. That's what my dad said growing up. (laughs) Don't cuss, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do. It's like life advice, right? (laughs) He's like, that's all you need to know for life. I, I think there's a little bit more, but we'll go with it, right? Well... Mark chapter number four, we're around people in our culture and society that don't follow Jesus, don't know Jesus, may not even believe that Jesus actually exists or what his claims are even true. But yet, nonetheless, as Christians, we are in that type of an environment. Sadly to say, I meet people today that say, I once went to church. I used to be a Christian. I used to serve God. I used to believe in God. And then they'll say something like this. I'm a skeptic now. I don't even know if he exists. No, I'm an agnostic. I believe that maybe some force, something created all of this. Could be God. Could be aliens. I'm agnostic. And some force did all this. Or you say, no, I'm an atheist. We just evolved. This is the Big Bang. This is just uh, a randomness. This all just happened. And I believe that life started... uh, uh, billions and billions of years ago just from these little cells that vibrated and then they split off from each other. You got those. Then you have those Christians who say, I'm deconstructing my faith. And so I really want to take some time and kind of dive into that a little bit because I I want the church and its 
people to know what we preach and teach is, in fact, the truth. And so we're going to examine a person of interest. Any of you into uh, crime dramas or, or, or true crime? Let me see your hand. Do you like that? I kind of enjoy it, right? And you can always find that the detective, the police officer, the investigative reporter, or the lawyer will say, uh, when there's a, a murder, they'll say, okay, who are suspects? And they'll say, we got a person of interest. We have a person of interest. And that means they could have done it. They may not have done it. But this is our person of interest. And I bet some of you are the type of person, before the show starts, before the movie really picks up, you already know who done it, where they did it, and it was the wrench in the library and it's the maid. I mean, you are that person. Like, you, you get it right away. I'm not that type of person. Um, I, I, I'm old school. I watch the show or the movie to check my brain at the door, right? Like, if you watch a movie with Jane, it has to be a docu-series. It has to be true crime. It has to be something that really happened, right? I'm like, no. I need a fake character who can shoot webs and save people. That's what I need. And I don't care if it couldn't have happened. It's fun. And I want to check my brain at the door, enjoy my... $25 popcorn and uh, soda, and uh, realize that I'm going to have to either sell an organ or mortgage my house to be able to afford this excursion to the theaters with my family of five. But it's okay. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to have a good time. But yet there are people that look at Jesus, and they think, I think it's all a coincidence. I don't really think he's the Christ. I think it's all a coincidence. There are people like that. But... We can kind of all agree that there's people look at Jesus in one of three ways. That Jesus inspires them, Jesus informs them, and Jesus infuriates them. He infuriates them because who can make such a bold, audacious claim that he, because people will say this to you and they'll say this to me. They'll say, you Christians believe that your way is the only way. How many ever heard somebody say that? Here's the answer that you tell them. Say, no, 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 I don't believe that. Jesus said it, and I just follow what he said. I didn't make the claim. Jesus makes the claim that he's the only way. It's not that us Christians. No, no, no. It's that the guy we follow, he made the claim that I'm the only way. So some people, Jesus infuriates them. Some people, he informs them. You say, what do you mean? They will tell you, I'm a good person, and good people go to heaven, right? I mean, come on, I, I treat others as I would want to be treated. I follow the golden rule. I keep the commandments. You know, I recycle, I, I pay my taxes, I, I'm a good person, I'm, in, I, I'm informed by Jesus. And there are some that they're inspired by Jesus. Everything Jesus does is like, I want to do that. But wherever you land this morning, we've got to come to this point where we see that Jesus is who he said he is. He is not a coincidence, but he is the Christ. Christ meaning the Messiah, the hope for mankind. You say, how do we substantiate such a claim as we look at this person of interest? Well, your Bible should be opened by Mark at Mark chapter number four, verse 37. If not, it'll be up on the screens. Mark four, verse 37 is a familiar story. Jesus had just been performing miracles. He had been teaching and they get into the boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 35, the Bible says, and as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. 
The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41 is powerful. The disciples were absolutely terrified. And then they asked this question. Who is this man? Is he a coincidence or is he the Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you in this moment. God, would you send your Holy Spirit to take this word and to bury it deep into our hearts. To take this truth that could be obscure, hard to receive, and may it have an easy mark into our hearts. May you do the work this morning. I pray that you would help me this morning. I pray that you would build your church, bless these, your people, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Several years ago, I took Jane on her 30th uh, birthday to uh, Cabo and all one of those all-inclusive paid resorts. And uh, if you know anything about me, I tend to do things on the cheaper side. And so we went to Cabo and to see, you know, I, I am a little bit cheap. So we went to Cabo and the whole time we were there, five nights, four days, we spent $50 whole time. You say, no. Yeah, you travel with me. We don't eat. We don't go anywhere. We don't do anything. I'm like, you're in Cabo. I can't afford anything else. All right. So uh, no, but uh, we went there. And then my little secret is that I will do timeshare presentations. I will sit there for three hours as you feed me breakfast and try to sell me on a timeshare presentation that I can't afford. I don't want. And I will borrow from somebody else that fell for the trap. That's, that's my thing. <laughs> But I don't mind because they give you vouchers. They give you free stuff if you go. Now, I do get phone calls all the time of people trying to still sell me because you give up your information and they're going to call you all the time. But that's okay. So we go to Cabo. We only spent $50 because every day we'd wake up. We wouldn't eat breakfast at the resort. We would go to a timeshare presentation and uh, because our resort was not as nice as the other resorts. So I was like, let's get out of this dump. Let's go, you know? I was like, we're in Cabo. Who cares where we sleep, you know? Bring some bug spray. You're fine, you know? And it's all good. Uh, so we go, and then Jane wanted to go on one of those glass bottom boat tours. How many of you seen the glass bottom boat tour? Seen that pamphlet? It's got a nice new looking boat with a nice new looking window. And it's got nice people sitting, looking, and it's got Nemo floating by. It's got dolphins. I mean, it's got everybody. I mean, there's just aerial, you know, it's got all kinds of things in this picture, this graphic. And so this is what I have in my mind that we're going to go on. What we find is not that. We see a boat. It is a boat. But you know he had taken it out of the water, gotten a sawzall, and said, I can make a glass bottom boat. Hold my beer. And just started cutting into his boat. He cut a little hole about three feet long and about Eight inches wide, not even a foot. I mean, this is, this is hardly anything because I guess the plexiglass was too expensive and he's like, that's all I can afford. That's what he put in there. But it was all like scratched up, cloudy, and we couldn't see one fish, man. We were like, this is not a glass bottom boat. This is a guy that basically cut a hole in it and patched it with some plexiglass. And then he took us to a place called Lover's Beach. And then he was like, on the back of Lover's Beach is what he called Divorce Beach. It's on the other side, the Pacific Ocean side. He's like, you want to go to Lover's Beach or Divorce Beach? And I was like, yeah, no. And uh, so, we're, but we're going to, he's, he's going to show us the other side because he was like, you want to go on the Pacific Ocean side. We're in a little boat. This is not a big boat. This is a little boat. And we were, it was about five, six o'clock as 
other boats are headed back in. We're in a little boat going out to the Pacific Ocean side, and now you're feeling those waves. And every, every time, the wave got a little bit higher, a little bit bigger. And then we hear the guy go, uh-oh. And I was like, what do you mean, uh-oh? And I was like, no, uh-oh. I, I, that voucher was an expensive voucher that I paid for. I want my vouchers worth, you know? And he's like, this is what your voucher gets, okay? So uh, he's like, I, the waves are too big. If I turn around, we will capsize in these waves. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So he did this really, he's like, we got to time this right. I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, honey, it saved the women and children first. And you always said your hardest child to raise was your mother's child. So here, I, save me, you know? And uh, that'll, that'll take you a minute anyway. Uh, but... We made the turn, all that. But it's a scary thing to be out on the ocean with big waves. So imagine, here's Jesus. He's in the boat, and four of his 12 disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, these guys are fishermen. They're used to this. But the scripture we read said they were terrified. And they woke up Jesus. And then Jesus gets in the bow of the boat and says, peace be still. And the waves, they just calm right down. The wind, it calms right down. And then you would think the verse would say that they were calm, they were at ease. But let's read the scripture one more time. Verse 41 says they were absolutely terrified. Wait, why are they more scared that the sea is calm? It answers the question because then they say to themselves, who is this man? And that is the question skeptics, atheists, agnostics, and people that are deconstructing their faith are asking, who is this man? Is he coincidence or is he Christ? And Jesus doesn't answer. Isn't that crazy? You ever in, in your time with God, you need an answer and you're praying to God, God, I need an answer. And he doesn't answer. It's kind of frustrating. I'm glad I'm not the only one. But sometimes we come to God and we say, God, show me, reveal yourself to me. And we're looking for the answer. And in chapter four, God doesn't answer. But in chapter 5, he kind of does. So we're going to approach this a little bit slow. And then we're going to kind of launch this morning with this big idea. Is this person of interest mere coincidence? Or is he truly the Christ? And in chapter 5, Jesus begins to reveal himself. Because Jesus has a depth to which we can never plumb the depths of it. And in chapter number 5... Jesus, as they come back from the ocean, they land on a part of the seashore that's known as the Gadareans, and they're met by a demon-possessed man. Some of you may remember this from Sunday school or your Bible study, or you've heard a sermon about this man in Mark chapter number 5. This man has chains on him that he has broken apart. He's demon-possessed. He's cut himself, and he lives in the cemetery. This man is beyond hope. The city doesn't know what to do with him. They tried to chain him. They tried to restrain him. There's no hope for this man. And Jesus sees him and has pity on him. And then Jesus casts out the demons out of him. But the demons begin to talk to Jesus. And the demons don't want to be sent back. And so Jesus sends them in a herd of swine. They run off the cliff and into the sea. Scripture tells us that there wasn't just one demon. They said, we are legion for we are many. A Roman legion would have 7,000 soldiers, so some people will speculate that he had 7,000 demons inside this person. That's a lot of demons. Here's a man that society would shun, but yet Jesus, in that moment, in verses 1 through 18, Jesus sees him, sees compassion on him, and then Jesus demonstrated his power over the demons. You see, they ask, who is this person? And Jesus doesn't just give a quick answer. Jesus says, let me show you. 
I like YouTube, not for the cat videos or the funny videos. I like YouTube because it helps me get things done. Uh, I just moved into our new rental, and so I didn't know how to hook up anything. You say, what do you mean? Well, the refrigerator didn't know how to hook it up to the water, didn't know how to change out the light bulb. You say, you don't know how to change a light bulb? It's 18 feet in the stairwell, okay? So I needed a video. You're like, wow, this guy's hopeless. I don't know if I should be going to his church. Can't change a light bulb. No, I needed to figure out what, because YouTube always has those cool hacks, you know, like buy suction cups and climb up the wall. I didn't know, but I was like, oh, I need to figure this out. But the problem with the new move-in, there's no internet. And if you ask Kane, my five-year-old, he got there, he pulled out his time and tablet, and he's trying to get it to work. You know, kids kind of slap the tablet because it doesn't work. And we're like, Kane, there's no internet. What? And I was like, yeah, there's no internet. What? Where do we live? Where did you move me to? You know? And then we were like, oh, you got to do all these stairs. And he was like, stairs? What? He couldn't believe we got all these stairs to climb. He's like, I'm tired. Where's the little thing you can sit in and click the button? Little roller coaster. That's what he was looking for. I was like, we don't have that, okay? We have our own good legs. We're going to walk up, you know? And uh, then he went over to our refrigerator to get water out of it. And we said, Kane, it's not hooked up. What? You know, he was just very upset. So we were like, don't worry. Daddy's going to fix it. And then I go to YouTube and it doesn't work. What? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. But there's no internet. I look at YouTube as a, as a library of how to do things. I couldn't figure it out. So my trusted brother-in-law, Ed, he's a genius. He builds buildings and stuff like that. He and I went to good old Home Depot. And you know, those good old staff at Home Depot, they don't know anything. Like they do, they, they, they are, uh, they, we were there five times. Good thing I live close by. But YouTube, it, it, it helps me to see because I need a picture. I need to be shown. You can, I can read a manual. How many of you, you're the person, you buy the item, you read the manual, then you put it together. Let me see you people because I admire you people. We got two, three, mad respect to you people. I, Alvin Gimbal, Mr. Gimbal, he's that person. I, I was like, why do, we, why do we cut down all these trees for just two people? There's only two people that read these manuals, but all these poor trees got to die for you two people. All right, but, but that's besides the point. Um, but I don't read the manual. I watch YouTube because I want to see the picture. Jesus wants to give you a picture of who he is. Here's the thing. Jesus had his word. He was already telling the disciples, but they weren't getting it. I'm kind of like that sometimes. You can tell me Jesus is powerful. You can tell me Jesus is good. You can tell me Jesus is loving. You can tell me Jesus wants to save me. You can tell me this, but he's going to show them because they said, who is this man? Is he Christ or coincidence? And then he says, hey, I'm going to demonstrate my power over demons. And they were like, wow, that's amazing. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on after verse number 18. Jesus goes into the city. And notice, if you would, verse number 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Oh. Is there anything more devastating than your child being sick, your grandchild being sick? You just want to do anything you can. And so this this ruler comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you can help. So Jesus is going to help. Verse 24 says, so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had had an issue of her blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from the physicians. She had spent all that she had and was not better, but rather grew worse. Does that feel like you? You've tried so many different things. And you don't feel better, you feel worse. 
The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can taste all the alcohol, all the drugs, all the women, all the accoutrements. You can, you can taste it all and be no better for it unless you have Christ. Christ is the one that satisfies. Christ is the one we need. And here's this woman who said, I'm, I'm needing something. For the last 12 years, I've tried everything, and I'm not any better. And then she sees Jesus. And then she says in verse 28, if I may only touch his clothes, I may be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude crowding you, and you're saying, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. We see that Jesus demonstrated his power over demons. And we see in this passage, Jesus demonstrated his power over disease. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm just not powerful when it comes to uh, demonic things. I'm powerful over disease. What is the one thing Americans are afraid of the most or the world's afraid of the most right now? Disease, virus, sickness, death. I did a funeral this week. It's a sad thing. We're all nervous. We're all scared. It's a human thing. And here she's worried about it. But she comes to Jesus and Jesus in his power because Jesus is powerful because he's not a mere coincidence. He is the Christ and he manifests his power that he is God incarnate, which means he's fully God, fully man. He's robed in flesh, but he is deity and he has the power to heal this woman. This woman has been sick for 12 years and Jesus in less than 12 seconds can heal her. Jesus can heal you because of who he is. So we see that he has power over demons. He has power over disease. But then we continue on. Remember, the passage started with him on his way to heal Jairus' sick daughter. In verse 35, it says, While he was still speaking, some came to the, from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard that word, what was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly. You see, in that day, you would hire people to mourn and weep for loved ones. And here was this crowd. They were there because they were paid to be there. And then Jesus came in and said to them, why do you make this commotion and weep? And the child's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose up and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. I see here, that Jesus demonstrates a third aspect of his power. Not just over demons, disease, but over death. Wow. Who is this man? That's what the disciples asked in the end of chapter 4. Who is this man? And Jesus is like, well, that's a tough question. Let me show you. Follow me. 
Jesus wants to reveal who he is to you, but he wants to show you. But oftentimes, we don't give Jesus a chance to show us who he is. Because as soon as you get in a fix, you're like, I know how to solve this. I'll just take another hit. I'll just get within this. I'll just spend my money here. I'll just go here. I will fix my own problem. And you're like, I don't know if Christianity is any good. Wait a minute. Did you ever seek God? You see, we live in a culture now that says, no, you can do this yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do this. But God's saying, wait a minute, don't you want to see my power at work? Don't you want to know me in a deeper context? Don't you want to know that I can be trusted? And so here's this person in this urgent moment who is frantically trying to get uh, Jesus to his daughter's bedside before the deadline, no pun intended. And many of us, we feel that way. We feel like, Jesus, you have to do this now because we feel like our destiny has a deadline. And I'm here to tell you, your destiny doesn't have a deadline. As you follow God, God is working all things together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, God can work these things out, but yet you and I, were like, oh God, it's got to happen now. You got to do it like this. It's got to happen like this. And God's like, no, I'm God. You're my creation. Follow me. I'll direct you. I will lead you. You see, this man in a moment had unbelief. Unbelief is really misplaced belief. It's believing something other than what God says about your situation. And in that moment, these people came to Jairus and they said, hey, don't even trouble the master because your daughter's already dead. It's already hopeless. They didn't understand, understand an aspect of Jesus that Jesus wanted to show us, that Jesus conquered death. It's a forepicture, a, 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 a foreshadowing of what we're going to celebrate in two weeks on Resurrection Sunday. He's like, if I did it for her, I'll do it for me. It's what we will all experience when Jesus comes back. The Bible says, and the dead in Christ shall rise again with him forevermore. You see, Jesus is giving us a picture of him that you and I can hold on to because he's more than just a coincidence. He's Christ, the Messiah. But yet Jesus in that moment saw that they were speaking to Jairus and telling him. And what did Jesus say to Jairus? Believe some people around you are speaking doubt into your life and into your situation. And Jesus said, no, 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 they got to go. They got to go. Who's speaking into you right now? Who's filling you with doubt, disbelief? Are you listening to the voice of God that says, just believe? That's our theme. That's our word for the year, believe. Believe beyond what you can see. You see, he could not see any hope. Your daughter is dead. I mean, it's one thing to be demon-possessed. You're alive, at least. It's one thing to be sick. You're alive, at least. But death seems so final. I get choked up whenever I get to do a funeral. You say, why do you say get to? When people ask you to be there at their greatest moments and their lowest moments is the greatest privilege of my life. You say, why? Because they feel in some way that I can be of comfort or I can be a cheerleader. So when anybody invites you to be a part of those special moments, it's an honor and a privilege. But every time I see that casket go down, there's a finality to it. You, you walk by the casket and you see the body. It's, it's, it's not as final the, as when the casket goes down. When the casket goes down, there's something final about that. There's something final about Jairus being told it's, it's over. 
I mean, I'm the type that it's not over until it's over. I mean, let's, let's come. Oh, there's going to be a comeback. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, Tom Brady's like, hey, I can only be here with these kids and this wife for three months. I right, put me back in. I got to play again. I can't take no more of this. I'm Tom Brady. I don't do the chores around this house. Like, I know how that conversation really went down. He got up all retirement, looked on the refrigerator. What? Mow the lawn? Do the laundry? I'm Tom Brady. And then it's like, called up the coach. That's what he did. He's like, I'm ready. You're too old. No, I'll play for free. So what do we do? Because Jesus is our person of interest. And culture is looking. Is he just a coincidence? Or is he really the Christ? Who is this person? And how many Christians don't know? I had a great conversation with Dave Hoagie this week. We went out to breakfast at Stacks. That place is expensive. Inflation. I was like, I'll take crackers, water, lemon, packed sugar. It's free, right? And then Dave said he'd pay. I was like, oh, steak and lobster, bro. Let's go big, man. Come on. Somebody else is paying. Hot dog. And he asked me a question. It was a tough question. I didn't even like my answer. But I was working on this message. I knew I'd, I'd get to it. He said, why is it that Jewish people don't like Jesus? I was like, great question. Is it because of his claims? Is it because he is the person of interest? Why is it? And that's the same thing a lot of Christians don't know how to answer. What do we do with this Christ? What do we do with this character? How, how do we follow this person? You see, we've received a revelation from this word. The word revelation means the revealing. And Jesus has revealed three aspects to his character. That Jesus has power over demons, over disease, and over death. That's the revelation of who he is. And a lot of Christians come to Sunday and they receive the revelation. But notice, let's go back. Because it's not the revelation, but the response that determines the blessing. It's the response. You say, what do you mean? Verse number 18, we meet the demoniac man. He's healed, and it says in verse number 18, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Picture that. You're a demon-possessed man, possibly 7,000 demons, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, all right, disciples, we did a great miracle. We saved this guy's life. His future's forever changed. Let's get back on the boat go to the other side. They go on the boat, and here's this demon-possessed man just like... Let's do this. Let's change the world. Yeah. You know, I'm saved. I got clothes on now. You know, he's not naked running through the tombstones and everything. He's a changed person. Any dad in this room, when you've gotten into your pickup, there's been those moments. You jump in there. You look off to your right. And there's your son. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm going to work. No, you're not. You got school. But they just have that urgency, right? They just want to be with you. Your girl, your wife jumps in the truck. Where are we going? Where are you going? You know, you're just happy. But. Jesus gets on the boat, and this guy's there. And notice what Jesus says to this person who's like, I had demons in me. I was running naked through the graves. Jesus saved me, changed me. Some of you, you were like, man, that was me. I was a mess. I was all messed up, and Jesus changed my life. But notice, that's his response to the revelation But here's what Jesus says, verse 19. However, Jesus did not permit him. Wow. Jesus, why wouldn't you want your biggest fan, your biggest follower to go with you? You wouldn't permit him to go with you. Because here's why. But Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. 
We learned about that last week, that a good follower of Jesus goes to his friends and family first. Jesus said, go reach your friends and family first, then follow me. Then go on mission. You see, it's real easy for us to ignore our friends and family as, and we don't, we don't share with them about this person of interest because they're the ones that need to know that, hey, he's not a coincidence. He is the Christ. And so here's a man, this demoniac man, who said there's the revelation that he's the way. I want to follow him. He had a response. Here's the one with the issue of blood. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She said, I, if I just touch him, that's the response to the revelation. I believe he's the healer. I believe he is the Christ. That's really what they're admitting. It's not that, oh man, maybe he will. There was belief there. It's a response to the revelation of who Jesus is. Too often we come to church and we're like, yeah, Jesus, maybe. I just got to check this off the list. And maybe you are here this morning. You are a sincere skeptic. I'm praying. That Jesus would be more than a coincidence in your life. That you would come to see him as we see him. That he is the Christ, the savior of the world, the healer of the hurt, the binder of the broken. That he loves the unlovable. That that's who Jesus is. There's a response to that revelation. Then I love this. While he was speaking, they come to Jairus. And they say, Jairus, is too late. But then Jesus says, only believe. Jairus' daughter was healed because of Jairus' dad's faith that he believed. That's a response to the revelation. It was based on his belief. And think about it. We see demons, disease, and death. Demons, that's things we can't see. You ever been afraid of something you can't see? Yeah. Many of us are. Disease? Ever been afraid of something you can't solve? You can't solve disease. There was a dear, precious lady. She came here last week, and she needs a liver transplant. She came to our church for the first time, and she loved it. Her husband sat in the parking lot. He's never been into a church, but then afterward, he found out we were doing churros and had an espresso cart, and he was like, I got to come back to this church. I was like, yeah, you do. Don't hang out in the parking lot. Come on inside. It's better. The water's warm. Come on in. And she came for the first time, and she told me, she needs a liver transplant. I said, oh, man, he has cancer. And I said, well, did they put you on the donor list? She said, oh, no. The doctors told me my age, the amount of cancer. There are no answers. She's coming to church. Because when you run out of options and you're lying flat on your back, and you say, I can't solve this. That's when we need a savior. And that's where the church needs to be at its best when life is its darkest. Where we step in and say, yeah, life is dark, but God is there. It's in the difficulties that we find that our faith has some depth to it. You say, why do we have so many Christians who are deconverting, that are, that are going through this? They, they used to go to church. They used to be a part of it because there's no depth in their life. Because the moment life got hard, they were out. The moment the marriage, the relationship got hard, they were out. The moment it came to giving up sin, no, I'm out. Some of you love your sin. And you won't let it go. And you're okay with it. And God is calling you. Say, no, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to pursue God with all I got because he's more than a coincidence. He's Christ. 
Maybe you're a sincere skeptic and say, I just don't think God has that much influence on our culture and society. You know, you could take all the top 100 musicians throughout history, the top 100. You know, all but two of them have songs about Jesus. And I'm not talking about Christian musicians. Any of the top 100 have songs about Jesus. My favorite is Jesus Thinks You're a Jerk. That is my all-time favorite title. All-time. That's just awesome. I'm not saying because it's true, but if the truth hurts, just kidding. But we are afraid of what we can't see, we can't solve, and then death. We can't stop it. And Jesus says, I know you're afraid of that. But here's the thing, fear as Dr. Dre would say, has a lot of firepower. But Jesus, he comes into that and says, why are you afraid? And it's because we think he's a coincidence, he's not Christ. But the moment you in your heart and your spirit, you say, he is Christ. In that moment, all fear leaves. Because you're like, I know who's with me, who's in me, who's for me, who's working this situation. I, I know who I follow. I know who this person is. It is Christ, and I'm going I'm I'm to follow him with everything I've got. I'm going to pursue him with everything I am. Because it's one thing to hear the word. That initiates faith. But speaking the word activates faith. But doing the word demonstrates faith. See, Jesus' power is always greater than our problems. But some of us were here, and we're thinking, I just don't have very strong faith. Can I tell you this? Simple faith in the Savior does more than strong faith in the wrong source. Simple faith, small faith in the Savior does more than strong faith in the wrong source. You say, well, I got a lot of money in my bank account. Wrong source, my friend. Well, man, my marriage is solid. It's never going to crumble. Wrong source, my friend. Oh, man, I'm really connected. I got friends in high places. Wrong source, my friend. None of those in and of themselves are wrong, but they're the wrong source. They make weak gods. We need to say, God, it is only you. The only one I'm trusting. So the question is still, who is he? Because you can go throughout history and you can look at this person, Jesus, and Jesus stands in a class all by himself. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus is the only person who broke time. See, what do you mean broke time? If you were to take since the dawn of time till now, as long as we've been measuring it, you'll see that we categorize time in B.C., before Christ, and A.D., after Christ. Jesus came and he broke the timeline because he's that significant. And think about that. Here's a man. That you would think, why would Jesus come when he did? I mean, of all the times to come, you would think he'd come now with our, our social media, our worldwide web, with our political, our influential figures. I mean, and then he could have just walked up and slapped somebody and maybe got some things done or something. You know, I mean, that, that just seems like, you know, maybe Jesus would then say, turn the other cheek. You know, that's what he would say. Uh, but then... <laughs> But then understand, Jesus, for whatever reason, said, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to be born in a manger. And then I'm going to be born in a manger. I'm going to live in Nazareth. And I'm never going to travel more than 200 miles from my home. I'm going to have a small band, about 11. And we're going to turn the world upside down. 
And in my mind, I'm like, Jesus, why would you do it that way? And it's because we expect a king, a God, to come a different way, don't we? We expect him to make a grand entrance. We expect God to come in and pomp and heralds and wealth. Because that's kind of what we expect. But Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to come like you expect me to. But I'm going to do more than you can explain. You see, Jesus didn't come how we expected. And he does what we can't explain. Because he is God incarnate. Stepped out from heaven to be born of a woman. That man who all of history looks back to came at the perfect time. The language is just being filmed, formed. Roman rule had developed something we'd never had before. Standardized transportation roads where the gospel could get around the world. Where that time prior to Rome, do you know what all the other warring nations would do? Destroy the religious practice of that day. Rome assimilated the practice of that day. So Rome viewed Christianity as a part of Judaism and just said it's a subsect of Judaism. And Rome tolerated Judaism more than any other religion. So Christianity was allowed to flourish under Roman rule. It was the perfect time to come. And we say, wow, God, you, you are no coincidence. You must be Christ. Because only Christ could do all these things. So we have a decision. You've received the revelation. What's going to be your response? Is history, is Jesus just history's one great great coincidence? Or is he Christ? The invitation this morning is not to follow a plan, but to follow a person. And I'm going to invite you you've never received Christ to make that decision today can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed father we know that life is so hard and confusing at times and it's in those moments we've got to come before you and say God we don't understand it but we need a source that's greater than ourselves and God we've got to pursue you we've got to seek you Because otherwise we are denying the fact that you are Christ. You are more than mere coincidence. You are the savior of the world. The hope for humanity. If you've received Christ as your savior, this message I hope encourages and reinforces some things you've always believed. But if you don't know Jesus and you are a sincere skeptic and you're saying, I want to know. I want to know more about this Christ the savior of the world. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, I want to know more about Christ. Would you slip up your hand? Can I pray for you? Is anybody like that? I see that hand. I see that hand. See that? Oh, amen. God bless you. Put those hands down. Let's pray for those who are receiving Christ as their savior this morning. I'm going to pray aloud. Maybe you pray silently. It's not the words, it's the heart. But we'll pray a prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, not only to die on a cross, but also to show us these truths that you have power over disease, death, and demons. And that revelation demands a response. Will I continue in ignorance or will I accept you? And so, Father, this morning, 
we receive you as our Savior. We repent of our sin. And we ask you to come into our lives and make us a new creature in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and received Christ your Savior, can you lift up your hands? We could celebrate with you. Is that you? Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Thank you. And in light of that truth, we have to sing with gratitude to what God has done. So once again, worship team, lead us in a song of gratitude and praise to God. And let's as Christians, as Christ followers, let's lift up our voices in praise and thanks and gratitude to what God has done, what he has done for us and who he is, that he is not a coincidence, but he is the Christ, the savior of the world. So let's sing together this morning. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.